There are certain moments and words that shaped a new era in pro wrestling. Austin 316 says I just whipped your ass. Brett screwed Brett. Die, Rocky, die. Suck it! Introducing the Book of Wrestling, 25 catchphrases that explain the Attitude Era. Tune in as we relive one of the most exciting, intense, and over-the-top times in WWE with new interviews with the voices that made the promos, calls, and catchphrases into history. Listen now. This episode of the Ringer F1 show is brought to you by eBay Motors. With over 122 million parts, from superchargers and brakes to exhaust kits and beyond, eBay Motors levels your baby up to its peak performance. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride or your money back. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. This episode is brought to you by Thomas's. Thomas's presents Technique with Tom. Slicing an English muffin with a butter blade? Boulder Dash. Just pull apart with your hands and marvel in the nooks and crannies splendor. For each one is unique like a snowflake. Thomas's. Huzzah! A toast to breakfast. It is the Ringer F1 Show, part of the Ringer Podcast Network. I am Kevin Clark. Max Verstappen wins the Canadian Grand Prix in Montreal in a pretty thrilling race. He holds off Carlos Sainz. So here's the order. Verstappen first. Carlos Sainz picks up the slack. His teammate, Leclerc, had to start at the back of the grid. He made wholesale changes to his engine this weekend. Started in the back row. Sainz has what is probably his most complete Sunday of the year. Lewis Hamilton finishes third, George Russell fourth. Toto Wolf was just on Sky and said, you can look at some of the laps and say Mercedes is back, but he cautioned, no, we are not back. So we're not allowed to say it. You're not allowed to say it. Mercedes is not back, but they get a third and fourth, which is good news, especially considering Lewis Hamilton wanted to kill his car on Friday. Leclerc gets all the way up to fifth. Esteban Ocon sixth. Fernando Alonso finished seventh, but he just got a five-second time penalty, so Botas moves up, Joe moves up, and Lance Stroll giving hope to Canadian billionaires everywhere in his home race, home country race, finishes 10th and gets a point. Joining me to break all of this down is Alanis King, an editor at Business Insider, a racing expert, and a author of a book about Haas that's coming out later this year. Alanis, what's going on, buddy? Oh, you know, I'm just having a great time. I enjoyed watching the race. And now I'm here talking to you, which is super fun. I am so excited about this. Um, This was better than I thought. The chaos of Saturday um, did not repeat itself on Sunday, but it really set the tone. So if anybody doesn't know, uh, McClare, as I said, had to take a grid penalty. He started at the back. Um, Sonoda was also back there. I saw before the race... Leclerc also had duct tape on his car. That is now a two-week trend. Well, that, that's just the new thing. Uh, you know, F1 copycat. You know, everyone, uh, you know, if, if one team does something, everybody else does it. And I guess yes. duct tape is the new exactly. thing. Exactly. Um, and then Alonzo uh, basically picking up the slack because everybody else had a couple of, uh, of little failures. Um, Checo found his, his way into the wall. Um, George Russell went out on slicks in qualifying. Um, I mean, it was just everybody seemed to find and signs could have had it, but he, he, he said he quote sent it on the last uh, corner it didn't work. So it was a chaotic grid that I think helped some of the excitement on Sunday, Alanis. 
No, I completely agree. Like I, one thing I really love is watching racing series in the rain. And I think if it happened more often, it wouldn't be nearly as fun because it's really fun that they don't do it very often. So you get to watch them deal with the rain. And so the rain during qualifying and practice was super, super fun. It was hilarious to watch George Russell be the only person to try to go out there on slicks. And you're like, okay, okay, he can do this. I believe in him. And then it did not work at all. <laughs> it was so funny. The funniest part is that there, everybody on Twitter had the same observation, which is Russell's going out there on slick tires and he's either going to get the pole or, or he's, he's going it. to crash. He's going to bend. And he crashed it. almost immediately. Like people couldn't even send their tweets and it happened almost immediately, but it was admirable in this sort of race. It's what you, uh, season where they're out of it. They need a Hail Mary. It's what you need to do. I loved it. Um, but let's get to Sunday. So obviously, signs giving it to Verstappen a little bit and being in the hunt and at least being competitive. Christian Horner was asked, did he feel relaxed on Sunday? No, he said last 10 laps, uh, it was heart racing stuff. Did you learn anything? With Leclerc out of the race, basically, um, or, or, or out of contention for the top of the race, did you learn anything about signs today, about Ferrari today? I mean, Ferrari had some of its customary problems. They had a slow pit uh, for Leclerc. Obviously, they're, Leclerc's ta- already taking grid penalties because of uh, Ferrari's problems, but it felt like signs did all he could on Sunday. Yeah, you know, I really do feel like he felt like he did all he could do. Like he was right there. He was trying to catch Max Verstappen and he just couldn't do it. And I thought it was really fun to watch two of the drivers from the top two teams currently, um, Sergio Perez and Charles Leclerc. They were out of contention for the win. So it was interesting to watch Max Verstappen versus Carlos Sainz head, like head to head. And I think what is so weird about racing is that you have those drivers who are about to win for a really, 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 really long time. And somehow they just like, they don't do it. They always get second. And I don't know. I don't know if it's just like a curse or if there's some kind, something deep down in their subconscious that tells them not to just like throw it into the corner with like three laps to go trying to get the lead. Um, But I feel like when that person hasn't gotten a win yet and they're trying so hard and they're in second, They just don't do it for the longest time. Then they finally get that win and they start actually winning again and again and again. Like you see that happen all the time in NASCAR. I remember Chase Elliott, who won the 2020 NASCAR Cup Series Championship. He went the longest time getting second place again and again and again and again and again. And then he finally won. And then he goes on to win a championship like not that long after. And it's just one of those situations where it's like you got to win one. And then you can get it out of the way. And then you don't have that hanging over your head anymore. So I agree. This is his third. This is Carlos's third second place finish of the year. He had one in Bahrain. He had one in Monaco. And now he has one in Montreal. There's two things I want to address. The first thing is, I agree. Every single person who has ever spent, I don't know. I mean, he's been in F1 since 2015. And anyone who breaks through in any sport ever, has always had the they can't win thing unless they're Patrick Mahomes and they have immediate success, right? Unless they're Tom Brady and they have immediate success. Um, it's always been, I mean, everybody's a, a choker or can't win it until they can, right? Mm-hmm. I do think there is a mentality that gets you wins and gets you podiums in F1. And there's a reason that I'll, I'll give you an example. I think Checo Perez 
is someone who knows when he had a lesser car, knew when to attack, knew, knew when to use your tires and when not to use your tires. That's always been the book on him, but he knew when to get aggressive. And I, you look at someone like Nico Hulkenberg. I don't think he, I think there's some data out there that he did not have uh, some of the mentality there. Um, and obviously he got some bad luck and he obviously, we, we all, everyone in the, in the F1 dork community wishes that, that Nico had more success in, uh, in, in that genre, but, but he did. But let's put that aside for a second. What I liked was the idea that Carlos Sainz lost the front row on Saturday because he sent it on that last, on that yeah. last turn. That's what he needs to do. He's not going to be as good a driver as his teammate, and he's not going to be as good as a driver as, as Verstappen. He needs to get more aggressive, go for it. We've already seen that his car can bottom out. We've already seen that he can wreck and all that stuff, and I, 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 he needs to push the limit. I know there's an inherent danger there, but I kind of like the idea that he's sending it to the point of, of, of almost failure and having to save it. Yeah, I mean, I think, I think you have to do that sometimes if you want to win. You just have to send it to the point of almost failure or maybe failure. And the thing about someone like Max Verstappen is that I know, I know how Max Verstappen drives. I know how Max Verstappen approaches winning a race. And Max Verstappen will give up anything to not give up that lead. So if Carlos Sainz had caught Max Verstappen and had gotten side by side, Max Verstappen could potentially just send them both off of the track because yes. he doesn't want to lose the lead. Whereas I don't know that that's going to happen with Carlos. Like you have to be willing to some degree to just throw it all out the window to win the race, especially when you're the one in second. And you know, I mean, that's not the best. That is not the best approach all the time or a lot of the time, even because Max Verstappen gets himself in plenty of trouble just <laughs> being over aggressive. But there is a level of aggressiveness that you have to take into it to get that win. And then, you know, maybe it's easier from, from there on, you know, maybe it's easier to channel that and do that at the right time from there on, but you have to get that win first. Uh, quickly, let's talk about his Ferrari teammate. I think that Leclerc had as good of a, of a position as he, as he could have had today. Uh, some problems in the, in the first half of the race, um, the slow stop, as I, as I talked about earlier. Um, but listen, getting points in, in, a, in a weekend where you basically were starting with a disaster, uh, I'm okay. I'm okay with the top five here. No, I completely agree. And I think I do think it's impressive to drive through the field like that, especially with we saw a lot of DRS trains today. We saw a lot of people not passing each other. And so to drive through the field like he did, I think he did as best as he could today. Yep, totally. And also, it just shows you how good the car is, frankly. I mean, that, that, that's the one thing. And I, I'll, I'll always go back to Hamilton and Silverstone a couple of years ago, where it's just... I, there, there's a floor. Even if you started 20th every week, there's a floor when you have a dominant car. Um, it just, it's just a nice little illustration in case you forget uh, how dominant these cars can be relative to, to the middle of the pack. No, exactly. Let's get to Hamilton's, Hamilton's podium because coming into this week, it seemed like another... Hamilton was already saying basically he hated the car. Um, it seemed like it was set up for another extremely frustrating Lewis weekend. He seemed to be totally out on Friday, got a little better on Saturday. There were a couple of adjustments that I want to talk about. So uh, Toto was on Sky after the race, um, the sort of the post-game wrap-up show, the checkered flag, as they call it, um, and basically said that they they raised the height of the car a little bit. The FIA changes 
to porpoising uh, with the extra floor stay, according to George Russell, did nothing. So they didn't they didn't use it. Um, but they did, made some adjustments. They said it wasn't. I, I was confused by this. Russell said it wasn't porpoising, but it was a type of of bouncing. So I guess they're they're still bouncing. They're just doing it differently now. Um, and obviously, <laughs> if, if they're able to have, if they're able to have more pace, I was encouraged by the pace of not only Ferrari but also uh, Mercedes today. Um, apparently, there was an angry exchange over the weekend with Netflix cameras rolling between Toto and Bonotto and apparently some other team bosses about this, what the porpoising, you know, what the effects could be, what the changes should be. Apparently, team principals are at each other's throats about this. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I was intrigued to see some of the, the, the talk afterwards about basically just Toto, Toto's blaming it, was blaming his tunnel on porpoising. And now they're, under, they're starting to understand what this car is all about incremental changes. Obviously, it took some level of chaos, Alanis, for, for Hamilton to get this podium. But listen, he hates this car and he just podiumed. I, I, I just, I feel like this, this, is, this is good news and a step in the right direction at the very least. No, I completely agree. And I think team bosses being at each other's throats. I mean, we saw Christian Horner the whole week leading up to this talking about the porpoising debate. He was basically like, these are the team's issues. Like, let us sort it out because our car is good. And that is, that's Formula One in a nutshell. Formula One is about politics, whether it's in front of Netflix, whether it's in front of the FIA, (laughs) whether it's in front of stewards. Like, you're just trying to get the tribes on your side because F1 is about politics. It's, you're just fighting to have the best politics, which is why Christian Horner, as difficult as he is sometimes, he's successful because he's very good at politics. And I do think, it was really encouraging to see Mercedes do well this weekend because Mercedes has just done so poorly. And I think you could tell on the podium how excited Lewis actually was to be in third. And I think that's such a, that's such a weird thing. I don't think if you like, you know, like seven, eight months ago told me that Lewis Hamilton would be really excited with third. I'd be like, what? <laughs> and and the broadcast like, look at the smile on his face. It was amazing <laughs> how quickly the expectations have changed. But having said that, I mean, I, I don't think some of these emotional lows are so draining. And you saw him on Friday basically saying, I, you know, he's basically saying he hates the car. Um, and not even basically, he does. And so for them, listen, the car was too close to the ground. We know that. They're making the necessary changes. What the FIA does, it can only, I think, get better from here. Mm-hmm. People have been on this podcast in the last couple of weeks saying at some point Mercedes is going to win a race. I tend to agree because I, I, I do think that there's going to be a race where there's going to be 20% more chaos than we even saw today. Or, I mean, listen, Checo had a hydraulic failure today. Yep. He was out of the race. That could have easily happened to Max Verstappen. We've already seen that failure today. And then it could be anything. It would be Hamilton racing Carlos Sainz and the entire tenor of the race changes. So I think they'll win a race this year. I don't know if it's going to be George or Lewis. It might be, end up being both. Um, but I think that what's happening now is that Mercedes is getting in position to be the team that that takes that takes advantage of any chaos like that. And I I wasn't totally sure about that coming into this weekend, Alanis. No, I agree. I'm in the same, I'm in the same position because I think this season, unlike a lot of recent seasons, this season has been categorized by mitigating your, your failures because you see Red Bull super fast, but their car, their power unit breaks down all the time. Ferrari super fast. But when they're not having reliability issues, they are tripping over themselves on race strategy. 
Mercedes has a terrible car. And so the top three teams in the standings, they all have something going against them. And I really do think that if Mercedes were just decent, like if the car was just decent, they would be so much closer to Red Bull and Ferrari in the standings because Red Bull and Ferrari have had their own issues. It's just about capitalizing on everyone else messing up because no one is that perfect like epitome of an F1 team this year because no one's no one's perfect. Everyone has really Also the bad team issues. that's normally perfect is Mercedes, is Mercedes and they're the ones who are having the biggest problems of the group. So like weaving when Mercedes is out of it you see more. I mean, that that that's any sport, right? That's that's any sport. That's yes. when it when the the damn Warriors get injured, they have the worst record in, in basketball, and it completely changes the entire tone of the league. Like that's just what happens when the Patriots lost Tom Brady. Everything changed. Like that when when Mercedes built a car that was not ready for this season, and they're as as Toto said, their tunnel lied to them. Did, wasn't able to put the have the right inputs in them. The entire thing changed, and that's why. I love what Red Bull's been able to do, and I want to get on this now because, and I say it every week, and, and listen, it's amazing to me that Max Verstappen can, can win a race like he did, and it can be the third topic on the show. Like, that's just consistent dominance, and that's because they're here, and they're able to take advantage as long as the car runs of everybody else's mistakes. Yes. Still pits, whatever. I mean, they make everything work. Um, any, any thoughts, big picture on, on Max, uh, and his weekend. And I think that, you know, I, this is, this is him doing exactly what he's supposed to do, which is there's chaos all around him and he keeps his head. Like I, I always, I always talk about, um, you know, the football kind of definition of the Bill Walsh definition of clutch, which is, and I said this last week and, and, uh, and, and Spanish didn't know what clutch was because it's apparently an American term, which is everybody loses their head and you perform the same way. That's Red Bull on Sunday. Anything on Max Linus? Well, I, you know, I wonder, I really do wonder if we'll see a change in Max as this season goes on and as subsequent seasons go on when he's not being just like directly and just intensely challenged the entire season, like with Lewis last year. So Max Verstappen and Lewis Hamilton are very, very different drivers. Max Verstappen is more aggressive. He's less like long game. He's more what's right in front of me. Lewis Hamilton is more long game doesn't go as aggressive in a way that could be detrimental to him in the eyes of the stewards. Max Verstappen is more willing to like cross that line. I wonder if not having that direct head-to-head constant challenge at the front of the grid will lead Max to kind of transition into a a more long-term, like for, forward-looking driver and less like, oh, there's someone next to me right now and I need to make sure they don't... Like, it's just, he's very immediate reactionary. I wonder if he will transition into that more Lewis mindset where he thinks 10 races ahead instead of like three corners ahead, you know? So I, I think that a, a driver like Max, like any any elite athlete and any elite driver, it changes in a circumstance. You know, I saw a Carlos Sainz quote right before we came on here about how basically... Sainz didn't think he was going to pass uh, Max because he only had a five. There was only a, he only had five lap advantage on the tires, and that wasn't enough on the hards. It wasn't enough to to pick up the pace. Um, at some point, Max will have to in his new in his new. Uh, he's sitting on the throne now of F one. That that he, I think he's going to win the championship again this year. 
Um, at some point, Mercedes will be back. At some point, Ferrari will make a, a couple of more tweaks, figure out the strategy thing, and they will, they will be a more consistent um, challenger to him. And I'm intrigued to see how his, his um, driving style changes. I think he's already has started to, to, to slow down a little bit. Slow down being a, a sort of a misnomer. It started to, he's not as, um, I don't want to say the word reckless, but I don't think last year it got to a point, Alanis, where Hamilton and Max would rather wreck each other than give an inch. And I don't think Max has that mentality right now. And you even saw after the race today, I don't know if you saw it, but when they got out of the car, Max walked over to Carlos and was just kind of like, oh, you were pushing and pushing. And it was almost like a friendly, almost like they were out there playing golf and be like, hey man, great shot. And I don't think I don't think, A, you would see that if Max was actually worried about the Ferrari. And I don't think you'd see that even last year, um, where it was just a different mentality for Max. So I'm intrigued to see as he becomes, uh, he's extremely young. I think he's the youngest guy ever to get to 25 wins. Uh, and he did that in, in the last race. But I, as he um, becomes an elder statesman in the sport, I'm intrigued to see how the driving, how, how the driving um, changes. Because we see, we see that with everybody. No, no, no. I completely agree. And when you see empires in sports, most of the time those empires come from the people who have the most level head and look furthest into the future. Like if you take NASCAR, for example, or you can take Lewis Hamilton, but like, obviously we all know that that's a given take NASCAR. For example, the person who has tied for the most championships ever in the cup series is Jimmy Johnson. And Jimmy Johnson to me is the most level-headed approach it calmly, consistent driver ever. And that is how he created an empire over more than a decade of NASCAR. Like he was NASCAR for more than a decade because not because he was hot headed and he made moves in the moment and he did no, he looked at the long game and that is what Lewis Hamilton did for so long and how Lewis Hamilton did so well. And I think at some point, if you want to create an empire in your sport, you have to change to that mentality, not the, I will wreck you and see what the stewards say after it mentality. This episode is brought to you by eBay Motors. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. This episode is brought to you by Thomas's. Thomas's presents Technique with Tom. Slicing an English muffin with a butter blade? Boulder Dash. Just pull apart with your hands and marvel in the nooks and crannies splendor. For each one is unique like a snowflake. Thomas's. Huzzah! A toast to breakfast. This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. I was traveling internationally last year. I was in Mallorca. I didn't know the island well. I said, let me head to the north, head towards the water. Let me go on Hotels.com and see what they have available. Something preferably on the beach, maybe even a gym. Not only did I get those things, there was a kid's session with exercise, gymnastics in the water, pony rides, a train. It had everything, and I didn't even want any of those things. 
but at least I knew they were there just in case I changed my mind. And now finding the perfect hotel has never been easier thanks to the Hotels.com app. Whether you're looking for a family-friendly, right, all-inclusive or a relaxing spa weekend, you can find exactly what you need and compare hotel prices, ratings, and amenities side by side. So start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app. Hey, you know who didn't have a level-headed mentality over the course of his career? Uh, Fernando Alonso. Yeah! <laughs> so let's talk about him. First of all, I have a question. I've been thinking about this all weekend, and I should have okay. given it to you before. Who is Fernando Alonso's U.S. sports equivalent? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> so let's back up here. I'm, I'll accept some nominations. So if anyone doesn't know the arc of Fernando Alonso, because we do have some, some newer F1 fans out in the listenership base. Fernando Alonso has two career driver's championships, 2005-2006. He's left the sport at one point. He has switched teams. He's gone to worse places because there's a mixture of internal political battles and he's kind of a jerk. He's been in the sport since his first Formula One race was 2001. Um, and he is still universally among people who are on the grid, people who know these things better than us, considered one of the best pure drivers still around, even at age 40. This, this weekend... He had a total throwback weekend. He had an incredible lap on a wet track in Montreal. Finishes second. Uh, a, a good chunk behind um, Max, but still a very, very good lap. And obviously beat Mercedes, beat the Ferraris. Um, just, just a really, really nice lap from him. And it's almost, you know, I heard some of the F1 journalists laughing because the roar of the crowd, it's almost like he's just outlasted some of his reputational Damage, you know, where it was just like everyone was so happy to see this. I'm happy to see it. Feel a little bit like maybe, maybe like a Brett Favre type, where he had a ton of success early in his career and then just kept going to different teams and still had it, but never got reached the mountaintop again. I don't know. What, what's yours? Okay, so after like 30 seconds of consideration, I've got it. Um, Kurt Busch. Kurt Busch oh. has been. Kurt Busch has been to the Cup Series in NASCAR for a similar amount of time. Kurt Busch has had high highs. He's won a Cup Series championship and he has had very low lows where he has said and done things he shouldn't have and gotten canned from his very good race teams and gone to very bad race teams because no one would take him. And he has mellowed out. He's mellowed out a lot. He's climbed back up to a a decent race teams. And now he's at 2311 racing, which is a very new, very revolutionary team in NASCAR. It's part, it's owned by Michael Jordan and Denny Hamlin who drives in the cup series. And Kurt Busch is now kind of like a level headed kind of liked figure. And he's also, he's there every weekend. He's on the grid. He has a dominant showing at least once a year where he wins a race. Kurt Busch. Wow. That's a good one. Um, I will say, I knew Fernando was going to have at least some sort of good week in the next few weeks when it came out last week that Toto Wolf said, every driver says there's a problem with porpoising, except Fernando Alonso. who's was like, this is fine. Like, he was ready. <laughs> he's I'm ready fine. for these cars. Yeah, he, he's, yeah. he's ready to rock. Um, yeah. So he gets off to a slow start. Actually, a disappointing drive for him. Great qualifying, disappointing drive. Gets off to a slow start. Um, it was funny because... He said on Saturday that he wasn't going to try any kamikaze moves in the first lap. That was his word, kamikaze. 
Um, and I was like, man, that sounds like a guy who's ready to try some kamikaze moves on the yeah, first right? lap. Like that's like no one asked, and he was like, I'm definitely not gonna do any reckless things. No. I, I, I think he was ready to rock on 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 the first lap um and try to get P1 and just see what happens. I mean, he's a historically good starter, but then he just got off, he, he didn't get off quickly and a horrible start and just never, never got any momentum from there. Um, kind of classic Fernando. He was told not to t- overtake Ocon, his teammate, and the quote was, I'm a hundred times faster this weekend, which is true. Um, but basically they just didn't, they didn't want him. I saw, I saw an uh, interview with Otmar afterwards and they, they thought maybe there was an air leak at some point, um, they were just trying to, to to not cause any problems. But he finishes um, outside the top five. I, I see this as as a win of a weekend. I just didn't it didn't reach the heights it could have, Alanis. No, I completely agree, and I do think a lot of people were very confused about the pit strategy because there were a couple of situations in which they could have pitted Fernando's car and not had like really detrimental results from it and they just didn't. And then they kept him out there for a long time and he was running like three seconds lower, slower than the leaders at one point. And they just kept him out there. They didn't take advantage of the times they had for pit stops. Like they could have pitted and lost eight seconds, but they waited until it was green again and they weren't under virtual safety car and they had to lose 18 seconds. Like it was just a weird strategy. And I feel like once we got to the end and Fernando Alonso was behind his teammate, Esteban Ocon, Fernando was like, let me pass him. Let me pass him. I've been faster all weekend. The issue there was the team. Alpine was like, no, if you pass Esteban, then we have two cars lined up behind us who will then pass him as well. And so you need to fight them off and we need to take like the good average finish for the team here because the constructor standings matter. Speaking of the constructors, Standings. I was. I actually want to skip ahead. I do want. Checo Perez is supposed to be next up, but there is a classic. <laughs> there's there is just a classic uh, transition here because Alpine is now four points behind McLaren for fourth <laughs> place, which is not good for McLaren. And you no. want to talk about McLaren because they are just they're right now a complete disaster. Yes. Um, and listen, fourth place, best of the rest. Congratulations, all that. Um, but man, uh, today with, with, with Lando, I mean, they just, they just weren't competitive. Where do we start, Alanis? I think we start with the start of the season and when they came out in the season opener and they were just horrible, honestly, like they've been horrible from the start. They've just, they haven't had the pace. They've messed up in the pits. Like it's, it's just been really bad. And I feel like, I feel like Formula One is like a lot of sports. If you get off to a bad start and you have some bad momentum, like you're just going to continue to be bad (laughs) until something like revolutionarily changes that because you've accepted like, oh, okay, we're really bad. We need to work on this. Like we saw that with the Haas Formula One team for literally three years. They were like, yeah, no, we suck at this car. We're going to wait until the new regulations to even try. We're just going to work on those because we're just so bad that we can't be not bad. And now here we are with the new car this year and Haas is decent. And I think, you know, we saw them suffer for three years because they were really bad. And, you know, when you're bad, sometimes you just continue to be bad because you're in a bad mindset. Yep. That's how it's It's in F1. I will always go back. I think it was the Claire or maybe may have been Lando. Not sure. I have to look it up because I remember writing it down. But 
the quote, it was actually in a Netflix, it was in one of the Netflix interviews. It was, there are no miracles in F1. And that's something I always think about. There's no Cinderella's. There's, maybe there's a Cinderella podium because everybody crashes or there's an Esteban Ocon off week where somehow he gets to the front and, and, and doesn't go wide at all and wins. Yep. But over the course of a season, everything that's supposed to happen happens. Will happen. You put all these inputs in and the only thing that happens is the only thing that could happen, okay? And for me, um, I mean, this is... I, the fact that McLaren is outside the points, I'm not seeing necessarily a ton of bad luck. I'm just seeing a team that is not nearly as good as it could be. I'm seeing a, a driver in Daniel Ricciardo who, as well as as uh, as as much as he recovered um, last week and and has shown signs of it, like over the course of the season, I just have not seen anything. Um, Lando has obviously had more success, um, but over the past few weeks it's just there's there's not there i mean lando should not be in a situation where the only people he's finishing in front of uh are kevin magnuson who had a problem almost immediately with a he got he got black and orange flagged um and latifi like and latifi's barely on the grid like i'm at some point i'm gonna stop counting finishing in front of latifi okay like that 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 is no longer an accomplishment so um, yeah, I, I just I, I'm, I'm I'm officially worried about about McLaren and uh, and there's not much else to say about that. Well, I mean, I I think you're right in saying like and emphasizing that Formula One is not a sport of miracles because Formula One is not a sport of good luck. Like Formula One can be a sport of bad luck, but good <laughs> luck good luck really isn't what happens unless other people have bad luck. Like you don't just randomly show up to a race where Max and Checo and Carlos and Charles Leclerc are in contention and beat them. Like that doesn't happen. They all have to wreck <laughs> for you to, if you're not in a good car, let's say you're Lando, for you to finish ahead of them, they're probably all going to wreck, right? Like it's not a sport of good luck. It's about capitalizing on other people's bad luck. And the reason it's not a sport of good luck is because everything in Formula One is calculated so intensely that if your calculations are wrong, everyone's going to know and that's not an easy fix. And so McLaren comes into the season opener. They're really bad. That's not an easy fix. Listen, they've had, they, they've had some highs. Um, obviously Lando's had the podium. He's seventh in the points right now. Uh, this week he was 15th before that ninth, sixth, eighth retirement. So since the podium um, has not been in the top five, Daniel had the, the eighth place finish in Baku, but yeah. I we only say this because we had high expectations for this team. Like we're not we're not going at at, at Alpha or Williams here. Like we're we're going at McLaren because they have actual expectations, and Lando is I think at some point going to at least challenge for a World Drivers Championship, and I haven't seen it. Okay, um, let's do the constructors championship. Standings real quick, just so everybody knows, and then we'll get to Checo, and then we'll just do go through the rest and see if there's anybody who stands out. Um, Red Bull. 304 points, Ferrari 228, Mercedes 188, big old gap, and then uh, McLaren 65, Alpine 61, Alpha 47, Alpha Tauri 27, Pierre Gasly announced as coming back to Alpha Tauri. By the way, we're going to do a 2023 kind of look forward with Nate Saunders in the midweek. Aston Martin 16, Haas Ferrari 15, Williams third. Um, Alanis, let's get to Checo, who had a complete disaster of a weekend. Yes. He found the wall on Saturday. Yes. And had to walk through the woods. 
His people misunderstood and thought he couldn't find the reverse on his car, but it was really that he had just stuck it into the wall and you can't reverse out of that. It started this whole thing about why can't F1 cars reverse. So Checo had to clarify, he knows where the reverse is. He just couldn't do it because he was stuck in the wall. Um, So he walks into the woods, um, gets out there. He doesn't want to take a scooter, doesn't want to lift. So he he walks through, walks through through some fans, um, which was nice. And then... On the week, on Sunday, his hydraulics go out. Um, disaster of a weekend. There was some buzz a couple of weeks ago. Obviously, it may, he may have been in the title hunt. That that seems not as, you know, it's 175 to 129 at this point. Um, seems a little bit unlikely. Uh, not much you can say about this, except he's glad it's over. No, I completely agree. And I think, you know what? When you have a terrible time, the best thing you can do is make the moments really memeable. <laughs> and I, him choosing to walk through the woods was fantastic. Like it was art. We will be talking about that for a long time. It's like when Kimi Raikkonen went and sat in the hot tub on his yacht in 2007, I think it was like, we talk about that. Do weird stuff when bad stuff happens to you. And that way people are distracted from the bad stuff. And they just think about how weird you are walking through the woods. I think it was great. Do weird stuff instead of good stuff is also uh, Haas's motto, I think. Yes. Over the past over the past few years, um, are you gutted for Mick Schumacher, who looked like he had at least chances for points, and yeah. and, and 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 the race engineer had to say you were on it, like they had to apologize to him. I, yeah. I I feel bad. I mean, I also feel bad that Haas. I think they were the only team with two cars in the top six, and they have. Nothing to show for it. Literally nothing. nothing. I mean, Magnuson gets is his last place to the finishers and and Mick is a DNF. Yeah, no, I I did because they had such good starting positions. We all had such high hopes for them because Haas is finally having a good year. Like <laughs> all of America is really excited yeah. because Haas doesn't suck America's well, team all the way. America's team, everyone's really, really excited that Haas is doing well because they were so bad for like three years. And I think it's really unfortunate that both Mick and Kevin looked like they were having a good weekend. Here's Mick running in the points and it's just, it's all over and it's not his fault. And the team literally, like you said, had to apologize to him because he was running so well. And I think Mick will get points this season and it'll be nice when it finally happens because, oh my goodness, he he has not been at Haas very long, but he has seen a lot. It's it's a little Haasy. It's a little Haasy. I will say it was interesting because I saw a quote midweek from Gunther Steiner about, and this is something we don't see. And it's something I allude to a lot because I hear it. I never see it because I don't speak Italian, but the pressure from the Italian media with Ferrari that we don't necessarily see all the time. And what Gunther was saying was that that so much of the noise around Mick is the pressure from the German media, which we don't see. And I kind of think that sometimes we sit around and, you know, we meme Haas or whatever, but man, Mick's hearing it from, from the German press. Haas is hearing it from the German press. They're, pro- you know, they're not hearing it from the American press, um, which is us. And we're just kind of thinking like, hey, look at them qualifying. Hey, K-Mag, way to go. Um, but there are some real pressures on Mick. And it's not just the family name that I think that we don't understand. And so I, I'm gutted for him in that regard that I thought that this was a, a nice chance for him to at least get some momentum going. And I've been critical of him. Um, not, you know, his performance thus far has not been up to the standard of someone who has a long-term career in F1. Um, but I just, when it's when it's kind of a, a, a mid-race failure like that, when it looked like, and listen, we saw that in Miami too, um, where that was a crash. It was probably mixed fault. Um, and at some point, you know, in, in those situations, uh, you can assign blame, 
but you can feel no less bad for him. No, I completely agree. And, you know, I do think Mick will have some semblance of success in points this year. And that'll be nice because, you know, he had a, he had to deal with a whole lot last year. <laughs> and I think, I think it'll be good, but I do think Kevin Magnuson coming back was a real, it was a real show of what someone who has been in a formula one car and been in a Haas car can do because we show up to the first race and, you know, Kevin's starting fifth and I can't remember where Mick started, but I know it was in the teens and we all saw what Kevin Magnuson could do with that car this year. And so you have someone you're driving with and driving against your biggest competitor is always your teammate who is very good at what he's doing. And obviously Kevin Magnuson has a lot more years on Mick, but it is a real show of what they can do head to head. When I was doing my research for this pod, I was looking at some of the Mick Schumacher stuff. And so like Toto Wolf was asked about Mick Schumacher in the German press. Like that, what? Like, what, uh, like what, exactly. No, but that's just what they're doing. That's what they like to write about. And like, that's, it's, it, it, there's going to be this narrative. Um, and I, I listen, I like when, I, I don't know if Schumacher is going to be the long-term guy there at Haas. And at some point it becomes financial and they can't even, you know, uh, afford to, if, if a guy is crashing, I mean, that was, some, that was some of the problem in previous years. I mean, you wrote a book on Haas. You probably know, yes. know their finances. That comes out in October. Is that correct? Uh, it's going to be, yeah, October, around October. We don't around know October. the exact date yet, we don't know the but date. around October, yes. Can you speak to the mindset of what Haas is trying to accomplish with um, both of their drivers? Are they, are they, um, is, is Mick such a marketing help that this, that this works? Like, take me through what Haas is aiming for before we can kind of understand what they might do with, with one or both of their drivers. So the vibe I got while reporting the book and while researching it, and while talking to all these people who worked at Haas, who were involved with Haas is that Gene Haas, who's the owner of the Haas formula one team, they entered formula one for the 2016 season. So they entered in 2015 for 2016 and Gene Haas's business, uh, his business ventures, according to people who'd worked for him, his approach is kind of, look, I'm going to set a budget and I'm not going to spend more than that. And I eventually want this business to be costing me less money than it did when it started. And so that was kind of the approach. Good luck. Mm -hmm, yeah. That was kind of the approach when they got Rich Energy for the 2019 season. The approach was, let's bring this title partner in and let's, you know, lessen the load on my finance. Let's lessen my financial burden get some money in here and then we'll add partners as we go on. And Haas added smaller partners at smaller sums over the years, just kind of chipping into that sum that Gene Haas was putting into the team. And so the goal is to get closer and closer to this business funding itself instead of like Gene funding it. And that was, that was the idea I got from a lot of the people who worked for him. Now, that's hard to do in Formula One unless you are a massive manufacturer back team. But that was the approach when they brought Rich Energy in, which was a sponsor who imploded and who I wrote the book about. And that was also the approach when they brought in Earl Kali, which is the Russian chemicals company. And then we saw how that went out with the invasion of Ukraine. All that ended and all that money kind of went away because they ended that partnership. And so Haas is grasping for money they're not always grasping in the right place and they need to play their cards right to get the right kind of money, not just all of this really like sketchy stuff. No more sketchy stuff at Haas. That's what we're well, after. Okay, well, I think the thing is, is that you shouldn't sign a title partner 
where the entire internet erupts with, are you serious? Like who's making those decisions? Like the entire internet goes, this is going to end poorly. When the rich energy thing happened, everybody looked up rich energy's finances and saw that according to Companies House, which is the registrar of companies in the, in the UK, this company had $700 in the bank on its most recent financial statement. And everybody on the internet is going, what, what are y'all thinking? This is going to go poorly. Nine months later, goes poorly. The Earl Collie thing happens. Everyone's like, Russian chemicals company. That's going to go really poorly. A year later, it all implodes. Like, just kind of assume, like guess how people are going to react. And that gives you a really good idea of whether or not this is going to implode. And Haas has done it twice in a row now. And it's like, what are you doing? <laughs> What's going on here? Stop, stop getting scammed 2022. That's the goal. Yes. That's it. That's like, incremental that's goals it. here. That's it. Stop getting scammed. Like it's or stop getting scammed or doing something so stupid that you're going to end up in a disaster. I'm going uh, pr- to present you a third way. Get scammed, but get the money up front. Exactly. Get the money up front. There we go. You can get scammed, but get the money and move on because let somebody else rich- get scammed. Yes, exactly. A problem with the Rich Energy sponsorship, which Gene Haas very, very openly admitted on Drive to Survive was they were supposed to pay us $20 million for this season. We didn't get anything past six. And it's like, was it really worth $6 million? Like all of that headache, was that worth $6 million? Probably Can't you find not. it somewhere else? You can just find it at some called beer company. Exactly. All right, um, Alanis, thank you so much. Absolutely. All right, we'll be back midweek with Nate Saunders doing a really cool look at 2023. Thank you to Carl Sherboga for his production help. We'll see you this week. It's been the Ringer F1 show on the Ringer Podcast Network. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there.